Hello and welcome to Jumpstart Weekly, the weekly manga podcast where every week two sleepy boys read all of the chapters of Shonen Jump and then talk about some of them and then another volume of manga. I'm your host, Jeremy. And I'm your host, Kevin. And I'm not sleepy because I actually got a decent amount of sleep last night. Oh, I got a decent amount of sleep, but it still hit me like a ton of bricks when I woke up and I had to do Labor Day today with a non-Labor Day staff. It was a thing. I'm very sleepy. But... That doesn't matter because we're reading One Piece this week, which we should say since we forgot to tell everyone last week. Yeah, we were distracted by our guests. We were. We've been doing this podcast for almost a year now. I think when this episode comes out, it will have been a year or very close, if not. Yeah, we might have started kind of in the middle of the month. I don't think we did, though, because I think we got four full weeks. We might have. You're right. It doesn't feel like it's been a year. But that's just because we're old men, and now a year is barely any time at all. Yep. So, all this month, we're going to be reading volume twos of things we read during our first year and that we liked and would like to revisit. And we are starting with One Piece. And if you want to hear what we're reading next week, we will actually tell you at the end of this episode. So, stay tuned. Yeah. But until then, we've got Shonen Jump with two brand new series and another series meeting its final ending. Well, it's the second chapter of the new series from last week. We only have one new series well, this week. Okay, that's true. You are correct. I, I was I, counting those new series from last week is one of the new yeah, series. I just I didn't want to make it sound like they they have two new series, the one that premiered last week. I would bet money we're getting a new series next week, though. Yeah, probably. So let's start with the brand new series, which is Mitama Security Spirit Busters. And this week we get Code 1, because nothing can be chapters anymore. The man named Joe Mitama. So what did you think of this series, Kevin? Skip. Which leads us to One Piece, chapter 945, Like a Dragon Given Wings. Yeah. <laughs> My feelings are not that strong, but yeah. Even compared, like, I was probably the coldest on Yokozura Mission Force last week. Mission, you know, it's like Yawakuza family or something yeah. like that. Yokozura Family Mission. I'm sorry. I said Mission Force, didn't I? Well, it's Mission colon yawakuza family is it okay. yes there's oh, no right. force <laughs> you're right i don't i don't know what I, i'm very sleepy did i mention yes yeah i was the coldest on that but that i felt was a lot better than this which is like the, the comedy tone is just kind of off it's very comedy based the premise is it's about a guy who can see spirits and is in security and the ray in security is capitalized capitalized when ray is spirit in japan yep it's I feel like too subtle in the English, if that makes sense to you, because security yes. is just a word in English. Yep. But he afraid of ghosts. Yep, but he's still in security, or security. Yeah, that is, I think, how it should be pronounced, security. I do like that he's a security specialist who specializes in security. That was the one joke I laughed at in this yeah, chapter. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't laugh at anything. Like, I noticed that it was funny. Actually, I did... I did kind of like not chuckle but i had a little bit of laughter with the girl who had the spirits lined up rena haze who seems to be the female lead yep and with the one spirit who was explaining how the guy's powers work being like oh no i stepped out of line the others will kill me and he's like thanks for letting us line up to you or lining up behind you no, and then I, runs I, to the back of the line i wrote it down the actual line is thanks for letting us haunt you yeah. So the plot is that he meets a girl, a high school girl, because it's anime, named Rina Haze, who is haunted by about 100 spirits, 
Yep. She is able to see spirits and she knows about it. But if you interact with spirits at all, they will like act up. So she just pretends she can't see them. She just basically ignores them. She's like, yeah. I realize I'm being followed by 100 people, but if I start paying attention, they'll start bothering me. So if I just ignore them, they just kind of stand around and it's whatever. Yeah, so he runs up and is like, do not be alarmed. There are a ton of spirits following you. Yep. His powers work such that only when he is crying in fear is he actually competent. Just crying in general. It doesn't necessarily have to be in fear. But that was one of the major things that made me just want to skip this. It's the protagonist is wimpy, but when in a weird emotional state is suddenly strong. And it reminded me of Zenitsu from Demon Slayer, who, when he falls unconscious, can actually do the techniques because he did train his body like crazy. But when he's conscious, he's just kind of like a crybaby, at least in the beginning. And it just bothered me because it was like, well, I, I like him more and like the whole his backstory gets explained a lot more in even in the anime, which is something that I really liked. And this guy was just like, oh, yeah, here's some other dude who's in. Oh, he's part of this secure Ray mission force, but he's a total wimp when it comes to spirits, unless he's crying, in which case he's God. Yeah, it's not a great setup. I mean, obviously, as the series goes on, that will be challenged. But yeah. It's not great. Also, it's really mansplaining in this weird way because Rita's like, hey, you know, this was not a problem at all until you showed up. Yes. And he's like interjecting himself into this girl's life in a way that's kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm going to be living next door to help deal with the spirits. And she was like, it literally wasn't a problem until you showed up. Yeah. So, yeah, I did not like it very much. I, my feelings were not quite as strong as yours, but definitely of the two we got. So far, this is my least favorite. Which leads us to One Piece, chapter 945, Like a Dragon Given Wings. We're going to be talking about One Piece later. One Piece past. One Piece yes. very past. Man, the art style has changed. I mean, I yes. think that's a lot of that is time skip, but also a lot of it is Odai is way more detailed now. Yeah. Even pre-time skip, the art style still was very different to this. Like, you can tell he really starts defining more and more stuff as the manga progresses it's like the opposite of naruto <laughs> zeng anyway what did you think about this week's one piece before we get too far into buggy the clown that comes yep. later sorry i gotta separate my one piece stories i liked this chapter of one piece so we have everyone kind of coming together Time is, or not to interrupt you, but time is also passing a lot faster now. Yeah. Like we have multiple days skipped throughout this chapter. Yep. Yeah, that's kind of like we're getting ready to go to the climax, or at least the start of the climax, which is going to be great. So it's like, oh, we're repairing the ships and we're arming all the dudes. We have a bunch of explanation of Zoro's new sword, or what will probably be Zoro's new sword. And so I was doing some research when I was editing this about the sword, because I was like, I could have sworn he had like a different sword. And it turns out that the cursed sword of his is, which is one of the ones he still has is still the quote unquote weakest of the three. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense, but he still has it, but it's the weakest sword. Cause he upgraded his other one to the one that he wants to trade or yep. that they want him to trade. Yeah. So he had his master's sword. There's like a couple of different ranks of named swords. Yeah, there's three basically, as I recall, right? And I, can't yep. remember what all his, three are called. His master, I don't, they're, because they're very 
close to one another. It's like what some it's like name sword, O name sword, O wa name sword, or something like that. But his master sword was like rank two. Ryoma's sword was rank two. Actually, I think there's four. I think there's four ranks because there's the black blade that like Draco Mihawk has. There's only like 12 of them that are that rank. Then there's the three underneath it. So I think his the two swords that he used to have, uh, Ryoma's sword and his master sword were that middle rank. Or yeah, rank two, just under the named blade. And then the cursed one is just like the lowest of the named ranked swords. So part of me thinks that he'll get Ryoma's sword back and replace the cursed blade with the new one from the Orochi. It's definitely possible. Although although I guess we've it, it's been introduced now that there are actually two named swords in Wano that he could potentially end up with. Although yep. only one is being offered to him so far. Yep, but it like he mentioned he's going to go visit Ryoma's grave and I don't see him downgrading. Well, even exchanging, like I see him kind of being like, oh, well, I'll change this curse sword into a black blade. And then there was also the talk of like how you make a black blade. So maybe he'll do that with one of the cursed swords or with the curse sword. But part of me thinks he'll get Ryoma's sword back because he went through a bit to get that. That's true. Like that's. That's the only quest. He defeated the skeleton and got a cool sword. <laughs> well, I mean, he impressed the owner of the he sword. Did. He did. But that even got into in this chapter. Where they're like, yep. yeah, you, you must have stole it. I was like, no, I, he gave it to me. Well, his corpse gave it to me, at least. Yes. That counts, right? Yeah. So I'm just, I'm just expecting kind of like an after the battle thing. Like, oh. Also, we found out that Law has somehow gotten the upper hand on Basil Hawkins. Although it's implied maybe Hawkins let him or is letting him go. Yeah, that was also the really cool part. It it I think it's more that Basil is kind of letting him go because we don't was, see how it happens. No. So it's ambiguous, but that's definitely implication there. Cuz Basil starts explaining how the kid Apo and Basil alliance broke and it was because Apo was already working for Kaido before the alliance even started. So when they went to go fight Kaido, Apo betrayed them. So Kaido was like, "All right, well, you can join me or I'll beat the shit out of you." Yeah, and Basil was like, it wasn't even a choice. There was like a 40% chance I'd be fine if I joined him, and a 0% chance if I fought him or ran. Yep. So it was like, Kid unfortunately decided to fight him, but they fought well enough that Kaido decided not to kill them, because they were strong, and he was like, I'll eventually break them to my will. Same thing he did to Luffy. Yep. And I do like that as kind of a flaw of Kaido, because it's a very Bond villain thing to do, but it's not something we've really seen in One Piece specifically. Yeah. And also, while the hero's plan is going really well and everything's working out, we also find out at the very end that Kaido and Big Mom have agreed to an alliance. Yep. Because they were having that death match and then decided, you know what, screw it. We will kick the rest of the Yonko's butts and then have our death match at the end kind of thing. Like, all right, we realize that neither one of us is going to, or we're not going to work together to become King of the Pirates, but we're going to make sure that one of the two of us is, and then we'll have a death match at the finale. Yeah. And we knew they were friends before, so it just yep. seemed to fit both their personalities in a weird way. Yep. And it is a cool escalation of the stakes. And I think this is all just to make it so they don't have to go back to Total Land. And they can deal with the Big Mom stuff here. Yeah. Because the way it's set up, Luffy still needs to confront her. Or someone does. It doesn't necessarily have to be Luffy. Yeah. Although it could definitely be a thing where Luffy fights Big Mom and Kid and Kaido, or Kid and Law fight Kaido. Or yeah. Or something like that. 
That's totally fair. Or maybe Shanks will show up because they're talking about forming an alliance. Yeah. But yeah, since Luffy can't go backwards because that's how this <laughs> that's how this story works, it does make sense to have Big Mom keep moving forward with him because he hasn't dealt he hasn't dealt with her yet. Yeah. Although that probably means Pudding's not coming back, and I like Pudding, so. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, you never know. Maybe she'll show up. Like, th- there's no reason that the Big Mom Pirates won't show back up. And One Piece is very good at recycling his characters. Yep. So. Like, we had that invisible guy show up after, <laughs> what, 10 years or something ridiculous like that? Yeah, something like that. And Perona. I, I just want Perona and Pudding to hang out. Can I have that comic? That would be great. It's probably going to be one of- girls for life. It's probably going to be one of the fan requests, so it'll eventually be a cover. <laughs> That's fair. I don't have a transition, but next we have My Hero Academia number 241. Do that interview. Hey, the boys are back. <laughs> I'm I'm so happy that the boys are back, and I love Shoto so much. Oh, he's my fa- I was going to say, there's the best boy Deku, the angry boy Bakugo, and my favorite boy Shoto. <laughs> Just the... Uh... the- I hope my gaze will kill ladies. ladies? Yeah, <laughs> just the fact that Mount Lady is trying to teach him how to be a bit more aware of what he's doing. She's like, well, I mean, you know, you talk pretty well, but, like, you're not smiling all that much. So she's like, you'll be a real late, you know, if you start smiling, you'll be a real lady killer. If I smile, women will die? What? N- yeah. <laughs> I also love that Mount Lady in her thoughts is like, oh, this boy is cute. He is mine. Yes. Because girls don't get to do that enough in media. Yep. I also like that Mount Lady enters the classroom butt first, and it's not commented on at all. Just me and Miss Midnight walk in, and she's walking in backwards like a movie poster. Well, Mino definitely has a reaction to it. Or, not Mino. Great kid whose name I can't think of, because it's been a thousand years since we... Minata. His name's Minata. Mina is the pink one. Yeah. But yeah, he's got a reaction where Deku's like holding him back. Because he noticed, like, you could tell he noticed she walked in butt first. Anyway, uh, Mount Lady shows up to be a guest lecturer about how to do interviews. Because Shoto and Bakugo have an interview about their team up. From already, what feels like a million years ago now. They already had an interview. They did, yes. But, like, Bakugo bumbled it. And all his parts got cut. I actually really like that at the end it's revealed that Bakugo's actually pretty okay at interviews. and But only when he's alone. It was the fact that he was with... So he basically spent the whole time, because they were like, oh, so you and Shoto are friends? And he's like, no. And Shoto's like, we spent a lot of time together. He's like, that is not friendship. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, that was the reason that his interview went bad. Because they're when they're going through the mock interviews, Mount Lady has the comment of like, wow, you're, you're actually not too bad by yourself. Like, and Shoto's off in the background like, I'm sorry, I must have been, <laughs> I was the reason that you got cut from that interview. I also like that Deku is just awful at it. Like, he turns of weirdly course he is. and shaky and he's mumbling. I mean, yeah, of course he is, but also it's just hilarious that we get into yes. that. I'm like, it's basically just a comedy beat chapter to set up for the next arc. That is but, but, super solid. Yeah, I was really excited. Like, my boys are back and that's all I wanted. Yep. And it showed as one of my boys, by the way. Yes. Can they just be the main characters now? Just grab Oshiko and it's just the four of them from now on. Well, I mean, Bakugo and Shoto need some kind of female lead uh, or female partner. Yeah, Bakugo really doesn't. Bakugo and Sh- really Shoto doesn't. doesn't know how girls work. He thinks if he smiles, they will die. Yes, but that's why Yorozu is great for him. That's true. I do like. Look, that's a fine couple. I guess. Yeah, she can come too. 
It, I told you the story. I must. I'm pretty sure I told it on the podcast about just hearing radio ads of her, like bo- English voice actors, being like, "Hey, I'm Momo from My Hero Academia. Come to this con." Like super surreal. Yeah. On the radio, I don't even listen to the radio, so it felt extra clandestine. Yep. Uh, I guess we won, and anime is just a thing now. Which brings us to Mission Yozakura Family Mission Two, the Yozakura's Lifeline. Like I said, I was kind of, I don't want to say a grouch about the first chapter, but I'm definitely the person who liked it the least. Mm-hmm. I actually like this chapter a lot more. I think its tone was just more consistent. Yeah. Like the first one, I, it's not that I was like, oh, this is super serious and I'm supposed to take it super seriously, but it didn't read as a gag series to me, really. I think a lot of that was the problem with, so it was setting up, I forget the main character's name, but is setting up his troubled past so that the comedy beats later on work like you realize he's sup- he's been a huge downer and his parents died and he's been dealing with all this stuff so that now that we're into the main thick of things like we were establishing where his character was and so now the gags can be a lot funnier like when the the guy hands him chocolate he's like yeah thanks and the guy being like you've never talked to me before and then he realized that he was talking to somebody and shut down yeah i mean one thing Japanese media has always been good at and sometimes gets criticized for by Western audiences is the weird tone shifts that like sometimes it's super serious and sometimes it's super funny. Yep. And typically I do like that. It's just with the first chapter, because most of the chapter had been super serious when it gets to these two 14 year olds are getting married. Yeah, I'm like taking it super seriously and like analyzing it as like, what would that relationship be like? And it's very clear from this chapter, like it's supposed to be more of a comedy yeah, And so it's not that the relationship can't be serious or analyzed, but like that's a really different lens to look at it through. Yeah. And like I said, I think the main reason for the problem wasn't just the tonal shift. It's that it was too much of his backstory. Like they spent a bunch of time setting up his character so that now they can kind of swap between because even in this chapter, they still have some serious moments and then they swap back and forth between the comedy. Yeah. But like I said, it just works a lot better. Like this chapter yes. overall, I felt just worked much better than the first one yeah i really liked this chapter as well i don't even know if i want to talk details like we've got a bit a bit more backstory we find out that the female lead whose name i should probably write down so i can reference it later is the only person in her, her family who is normal but that makes her the boss because apparently only people without superpowers in their family can pass down yeah. those superpowers it also explains that all the rest of them have superhuman abilities yeah because, like, the brother kind of seemed like he did, but some of the other people were, like... The, the girl with the hair, definitely. Oh, yeah, the, the like superhumanly strong, yeah. <laughs> but one was just Oscar the Grouch, and that could be superpowers or just a trash man. Uh, yeah, it could just be a dude who was really good at gadgets. But, yeah, it is nice to get shown that she is the head of the family, and the family protects her because she's the only one who can pass down the superhero gene because it skips a generation. So they're like, this is how our family has been doing it for generations. The head of the family births the new next family or the the rest of the family that are superhumans that then protect the head of the family. Yeah. So they all have to protect her. And they're like, as you're and the brother is like, so as her husband, it'll be your job to do it, too. Yeah. So we got to train you up. And like another thing I liked about this chapter is I feel the comedy just worked way, way better, too. Yeah. Like it's set up super well. 
Because he starts with being like, yeah, I tweeted out that you guys got married. And we see this Twitter. He's like, super bummed that my si- my super cute sister got married. And then there's just a bunch of responses. One of which is like, you need to die, you sister-loving freak. Yep. And, uh, I hope they're happy together. Yep. And then we have another guy who's like, I hope they explode ever after. Yep. And then the villain, like, that's the first mention of it. But like three or four pages later, we find out the villain of the week is a bomber addicted to social media. Yep. <laughs> which is... Like, it's a super good introduction, and there are lots of good, like, Twitter jokes, basically, yep. that actually really land. Yeah, it was definitely really funny. I like the that they keep just hinting at the fact that there's, like, it's not even really a black web, because they're, like, the main character is like, should you be posting on social media as a spy? It's like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I do like the, oh, no, my bomb was sent back to me. Probably gonna burn and die. That's <laughs> the last tweet in the... No, it chapter. wasn't just probably going to burn and die. He was like, I'm on fire now. This really hurts. <laughs> that was pretty great. And I loved the explanation of, well, in the spy game, essentially, they're like friends and enemies change with whoever's paying you. So, like, just because I hate you now doesn't mean I haven't worked with you before or just because I've worked with you before doesn't mean I'll try and kill you now. So there's like. There's a lot of no personal grudges with a lot of stuff. Like, even the bomber dude was like, I was just hired to kill you. Yeah. Anyway, like I said, I thought it worked a lot better than the first chapter. Yep. Which brings us to Act Age Scene 79 press conference, which I feel like was kind of a dead beat for Act Age. What did you think? Yeah, it really felt like it was a lot of most of nothing. Yeah. Because it was like... Oh, get ready. Kay's going to do some acting. Also, we're going to get some backstory, but not yet. Yep. Well, we honestly might have already had this backstory, which might have might yeah, be why that's it's also even possible. Because we missed some of that. Just the way it's framed makes yeah. it seem like we're going to get some more of it. Like, we'll the probably fact get that we more never see depth, her dad. Yeah. He's always like kind of in shadow or behind her. Yeah. Makes it seem like it's something that's coming rather than something we should know as an audience. Yeah. Although you definitely might be right. Well, we might not, like, we might be getting more backstory now, but we definitely probably should have known some of this. Yeah, we definitely should have got a hint, I feel like. Also, it's a weird flash forward, and I feel like it's going to flash forward and then flash back. So, like, the framing of it is strange. Yeah. The characters are all dressed up, and, like, the director just looks very different the way she's dressed. Yeah. Which makes her a little hard to figure out, oh, that's who it is. I they it's They do do dialogue cues, so I think they're aware of it. But yeah, because she's she's dressed her like her hair is put up and she's in a dress when normally she's been like in essentially hiking clothes with her hair down. So they like you said, she was a little bit. I didn't recognize who it was at first until it was the the speaking cues. I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine. Yeah. Like you said, though, there's just kind of most of nothing. There's some okay stuff in it, but it 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 wasn't that bad, honestly. I feel like. This week's Shonen Jump, we'll get this in the ranking, was very black and white, and there was a lot of stuff that just I just didn't like, and then a lot of stuff I really loved. Yep. And this was the closest thing to a center, I think. Yeah. But it was definitely like on the downside of it. Yep. Anything else you want to say about Act Age? Not really. So that brings us to Demon Slayer Chapter 172, A Weakling's Potential, which is a lot of the same, except for it had some of those good Shonen emotions in it. Yep. So a lot of flashback stuff. The fight again. It's like it's Demon Slayer fight. It's good, but I like it's that we have super special. It wasn't super amazing, but I definitely like that the Upper Moon One released like four different moves in this one after the other. So it was like really cool seeing the different moves he was going. So it seems like 
they're getting ready to beat him because it's like, all right, I got to show off all, you know, the author probably like, I came up with all these cool moves for him. I got to show them all off. Whereas I found it kind of exhausting and exhausting might be like too strong of a word because that sounds like I didn't want them. But I feel like back to back to back like that, it was just too many of those big splash pages, which are always good, but they lose effect when you're putting them back to back like that. Yeah. Whereas what really worked was the emotional bit. And I wish I knew the character's name, but yeah, the scarred guy who eats demons. Yeah. Yeah. Where he was like, oh, I'm too weak, I can't do anything, but then he flashes back to Tondro being like, yeah, when we fought the Upper Moon Six, it was because I was weak and got underestimated that I was ever able to do anything. Yep, and I really liked that. I also really liked the new head of the Demon Hunters, when they were like, oh no, they seem to be struggling a little bit, should we send another one of the Hashras there? And him being like, no, the four of them will be, you know, we need the, everyone else to go fight Muzan, the four of them will be able to do it. And I liked the, it wasn't kind of like, I'm sending them to their fate. It was more like, no, th- those those guys will be fine. They can do it. Yeah. And like the ending bit where the scarred guy is like, oh, I wanted to save this sword I was going to eat for if I got hurt and needed to recover. But like, I have to go all in. Yep. Is a really good beat. Which brings us to the Promised Neverland chapter 148. I'm coming. This was a another kind of nothing. Yeah. It's an important beat. It is. Because basically it's like everybody here now. Yep, but it was just that everybody here now beat us. Like, oh, hey, Sonia and Mukaji, or however you pronounce their names, are here, and Emma and Ray are here, and everyone's here in the capital, and they managed to get in before the bridges collapsed. And It also adds the wrinkle that the like main demon army is near the kids' base camp yeah. and maybe looking at for it, which means that Norman might have potentially told them where it was as a distraction. Like, I can see Norman kind of doing that. It's possible, but... It's th- it doesn't say that but it sets up the possibility it sets up the possibility but it's more likely that they probably just got lucky because he spent a lot of time talking about how he specifically set false trails to lead somewhere else that's true and as much as norman wants to kill all the demons he doesn't actually want any of the kids to die like that was the main reason for it so i don't think he would purposely set them up it might have just been an unlucky thing of like Oh, we sent a bunch of guys out here, but we also sent some out here kind of thing. Yeah, it could be. I'm just saying there's it's a potential threat that it is set up. So regard even if it's not Norman's doing. Yeah. Uh but that's kind of all the chapter accomplishes. There's some decent emotional bits between Emma, Ray, uh Sonja Sonya and Mujiki, but I don't know if we're pronouncing those names right. I have yeah. no idea. But nothing like amazing. No, and then there's a little cliffhanger at the end of Gilda being like, wait, Emma, before you go, and then we don't get to see what she says. One more thing! Yes. Yeah. Well, listen, if Uncle was in the story, this would have been the best chapter ever, but well, he's not. Well, if he brought Toru, it would have been the best chapter ever. Otherwise, you'd have to settle for, like, I don't know, second best? Yeah. Which brings us to Samurai 8, chapter 16, Starbreaker. Another, I want to say another chapter that was nothing, because I actually really like this. Yeah. But this is also like a clean up and set up chapter. Yeah. Like, this is, like, if the series had been canceled, this could have been the final chapter in a lot of ways, with just some very minor dialogue tweaks. Yeah. But the the big thing about this being a clean up and set up is it is clean up from the cliffhanger last time of... Oh, no, the moon's coming to crash into us. So, like, there was at least tension in the last chapter, and this is resolving it. As opposed to the other ones, not. Yeah, there's definitely content here. It's wrapping stuff up. Definitely, of all the ones I'm saying that about, Samurai 8 was my favorite. But I'm just observing the trend now, since we've set it up. Yeah. That 
like this is very much a like an interstitial chapter. It's yeah. connecting this story with the next one. Yep. And there was some good stuff in it, but there's stuff about how when a princess prays, it makes her samurai stronger. And that's something I like in concept, but I can kind of relegate Anne to just sitting in the back potentially. And I don't like that necessarily. Well, I think she's going to be nearby, but like she doesn't you, you, wear armor or anything. So it wouldn't make sense for her to be on the front line specifically. I mean, and I agree with you, but like, one of the reasons One Piece is better than Dragon Ball is that Nami and Usopp get to do things even though they're not the fighters, right? Yeah. And I saw potential in this to be better than Naruto in that way, which really mishandled its female cast in a lot of ways. But this is like potentially a way Anne could just like could be in air quotes contributing by just well praying. And like I'm not saying it will be. It's just like it's something set up that I'm like, yeah. I don't love this. Honestly, the way I see it, because the the one other main princess that we've seen was at the helm of the ship yeah. that they were flying. So maybe that will kind of be the thing of like, she doesn't have physical strength, so she's like piloting the sh- their new cool ship. I'm definitely not saying she won't get anything to do. It's just like, that's a thing where I'm like, I would like this idea, but it sets up this potential problem that I see. Yeah. But basically, it's just... Hachimaru doing the Atmos Fang at the moon yep. because in his cat body, his master isn't strong enough to destroy the moon with it. Yep. So he's just like, I got to teach you how to do it. Like, you you have courage. You have a princess that believes in you. You have everything you need. Yeah, you have the three pieces of a samurai. Yeah, and there's like a bit of a spirit bomb bit where we see all the people on the planet who are still there, including that, you know, I'm going to call him trans boy girl because I don't yes. remember his name. So at least doesn't, we get... Doesn't he, ha- doesn't he not have a name? Wasn't oh, that- that's you're right. That's the point, isn't Yeah. It? I was like, he didn't have a name because he didn't think it was worth anything? Or they- well, like, he didn't have, like, an identity. It was yeah. very much that sort of thing. We get some of him. We get the other people at the Academy. I don't know if we're ever going to see them again because even the master's like, okay, commit that planet to memory because we're probably not going to be back here for a while. Yeah. I could see them coming back in that the transgender samurai being a lot like one of the protectors of the planet now kind of thing. Or he could show up somewhere else. He also could show somewhere else. I think that's the more likely situation. Probably. Especially especially with them showing back up again. Like, it wasn't just, oh, this is like a one shot. This could be the closure for that character, though, right? But like I said, in another world, this could be the closure on the series also. Because it ends with them, like, in the ship, like, heading off to new adventures. And the series is doing well. I really like it, so I'm glad it's continuing. But yep. in another world, you could have a the end there. And it yeah. feels a little odd, but it's the way I expect One Piece to end, for example. So it's kind of the way Food Wars ends. Spoilers. Yeah. Next we have, before Food Wars, we never learn question 125. A young girl's acts of devotion to X. That's not a question. There's no question mark at the end of that, Kevin. There isn't usually a question mark at the end. Of- I feel like usually they are questions, though. They usually are questions, yeah. It's a Little Sister episode. Yep. Do we ever get these? I We haven't since I started reading it. I've never I seen a Little Sister-focused chapter. I think we've had one before this. Have we? Maybe I, I just don't so. remember it. No, not us. Like, the oh, the, the manga. The series, okay. Because so you've, you've missed Yeah, a there's chunk. a large chunk of the series I'm not familiar with. Oh, yeah. I think we've had at least one where it was focused on the sister. Anyway, it's just a cute story about his sister. Somehow she gets trapped in cram school with him, and it's, she yells at the fourth wall about how this happened. Yep. I mean, it's cute. We never learn stuff. I don't know if I have anything else to really say about it. Yep. 
I liked that she went to the cram school with all of her cooking utensils. Because when she gets trapped in the cram study room and these two people are talking next to Yu-Gi-Oh! And he's he's starting to look a little flustered about it, like he's being dis- distracted by them. And so she throws a ladle, then embeds it in the wood of the table. And she's holding a bunch of the other cooking utensils, Wolverine style, like in between her fingers, being like, nobody will disturb my brother studying. And the, you can just see a little speech of the teacher in the background. Can we just get back to the lesson now? <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah, it was cute. Yeah. So now it's time for Food Wars. The final chapter, Le Futur, which I believe it means the finale, but I'm not sure. 100% sure on that. I uh, don't speak French. I don't either. Le dessert, what does that mean? I understand that one. This could kind of almost have been the only epilogue chapter, right? It could have. Other than the stuff with uh, Saiba. Other than the stuff with Saiba. Like, and... this would feel like a giant jump if you hadn't read the last chapter yeah. from him. But everybody else. Yeah. Because we just see, like, a montage of everybody's like, this is what they're doing. Yeah, but there's also the, there's still a bit of a tie-in with Jirichiro and Soma's mom. That's true. But I feel like that stuff is plays fine, even if you haven't read that. But I guess you need to know, hey, that's Yukihira's mom, right? But, like, we get a bunch of stuff about his mom from Yukihira's specific, or I guess from Soma. They're all Yukihira. Yeah. From Soma's perspective. So I think that would play all right without that stuff. I think think it's definitely better for having it. Yeah, I think it would have. I just meant there's like some bits of like what Aaron is thinking that wouldn't make quite as much sense without the last two chapters. That's fair. Also got real excited when she called Soma's grandpa grandpa, but that's just a translation thing. She was just calling him old man. Yeah, it's fine. So basically, they're all 25 now. It's another time skip from even the previous epilogues. Yep. And we see where everybody is. Aaron is Dean, obviously. Yep. All the older kids are, you know, uh, judging now and all have one star restaurants. Not all of them, but Sukasa, the crazy Although, animal chick, because the, the, the Chinese. That's true. The Chinese one is off his six restaurants in China. Yeah. And and, and the, the asshole money guy. Yeah. The, <laughs> the mafia guy that I always remember him as has teamed up with America Boobs. I don't remember her name. Mito. Mito and the game person from the Polar Star Dormitory to come like meat distributors. Yeah. Whereas Soma is basically his dad now. He just wanders around cooking randomly. Occasionally he comes back home to open up the Yukihira Diner. Yep. Which he now owns because his father has retired fully to become a wandering cook. Yep. But they, they also mentioned that even though he's become a wandering cook, he's got more of a purpose in it. It used to be he just wandered around and ended up cooking. And now it's like he's become kind of this thing of like, I travel around and I can make anybody from anywhere enjoy their meal, like regardless of where they're from or if they're low bo- lowbrow or highbrow. Yeah, I do really like that this chapter starts with Soma being stopped at the airport for having a knife. Yes. <laughs> the two security officers having a conversation were one's like, I thought you said you were a foodie. Like, how do you no, not know who Soma is? Yeah, I, I just like the idea of what is a foodie like in the Food Wars world? <laughs> Are they just constantly trying to get that Joeichiro like to wander into their town and cook for them? Well, I'm guessing he was just trying to make it some, you know, he was trying I, I to make it you, seem. Yeah, I know what you mean. I just I like the idea. Like, what is that like in this world where there's a world food organization that yep. is in charge of gourmet? Yep. Oh, that just reminds and, me of. 
there was a gag and way early on with one of Jurichiro's things where it's like Jurichiro's in town and then this monk that's been on this yeah. fast for months is like Jurichiro's in town I'm eating now and they're like what about your fast he's like screw you have you ever had his food <laughs> anyway but it's mostly from Erin's perspective and we find out that basically anytime Soma's in town he gets in touch with her and she goes to the restaurant and they don't even like have a shokugeki Soma just cooks for her yeah, and to try to get her to admit it's good, and they text all their friends to see who will show up. Yep, which is pretty cute, and it's mostly from Arina's perspective. Nothing really even gets thought out loud, for lack of better term, but it's mostly her kind of exploring her feelings for Soma and kind of laying them out. Again, nothing is said. It's a very open ended ending. It but is. It's, it's also very clear, at least where she is. Yeah, it's heavily implied because she's like, I keep finding myself as much as I get frustrated by him. I keep finding myself super happy that he's showing up and like wanting it to be the time where he's in town kind of thing. Yeah. And from Soma's perspective, he's like, yeah, my dad always said like the key is to find the person you want to cook something great for. That's how you become the best an amazing ever. cook. Yep. And like my rival with me with my dad actually started because I wanted to cook something good for my mom. Yeah. Which is very cute, but also makes kind of his feelings on it clear. Yeah. Also, there's one last gross meal for everybody to yep. get tentacle raped by. Except for Erina, who I guess is immune to being in a tentacle rape scene. Well, I mean, clearly she knows not to eat it because he was like, hey, well, I, I made this appetizer. You should try, you know, everyone else can try this while I'm making Erina's food. So they it all had it. It looks like she had it afterwards, though, because she's like, this, this is the worst. Why did you do this? Yep. But she is not in the tentacle rape. Splash the final tentacle rape, rape splash, splash scene. Yep, a flash page of food wars. Yep. So yeah, I liked it. I mean, it was a lot more cathartic than the first ending. I was a lot more ready for it, so that yeah. probably helped. It still ends on a really ambiguous note. Like but, I like I said when the main thing ended, of course it was going to. Now this wasn't Soma challenging Erina to a shokugeki, but it was Soma presenting her dish, going dig in. I was like, of course that's how food wars is going to end. Yeah. I mean, it could have ended less ambiguous if you're saying it's good. But, yes. But, you know, why give that away for free? Yep. See, so, yeah, I really liked it. Yeah. I guess that's all we have to say. So we'll see how much we actually like it when we get to Jump Card. Jump Card is the segment where we rank all the chapters, not just the ones we talk about, from worst up to best. And there were 20 this week. Yep. They're really going to be more. Ne- I guess there will be the same number next week. So what do you have way down at number 20, Kevin? So I have Mitama Security at number 20. That's bad. Like, like I said in the start, skip. I just, everything about it bothered me. Not I, everything, but I, it bothered me enough that I'm like, I, I don't want to read it. I definitely see where you're coming from. It had one good joke, though. So th- and like I said, I felt like a lot of stuff this week was just not very good. So one good joke actually put it above quite a few things on my list. At the very bottom, I have Beast Children, because 
I felt like the art was not muddy, but the action was really hard to follow. It's actual rugby, but I had a real hard time figuring out what was going on. Like yeah. I got the the gist of the chapter, but the moment to moment wasn't exciting. Very similar to our normal Haikyuu problems. Yeah, I see what you're saying. So my number nineteen was Tokyo Shinobi. Because I, I guess that was a chapter of manga. <laughs> I must have read I'm certain I read it, and yet uh, it, it, it technically was a chapter of manga, but it was like, all right, so we're going to the Shinobi Council. The Shinobi Convention. Yes, that's right. The <laughs> Shinobi Convention. Because we have to because we're a new squad. So it's like, all right, you're all, all new squads are rank D. By the by, the one that Jin beat up was rank A. That doesn't make any sense. It was two dudes. <laughs> I mean, maybe there were more dudes, but... Also, like, the rank... Like, there's just no stakes to the ranking, right? Yeah. I'm remembering Naruto, where Genin... Chonin and Jonin are just made up words, but they sound so important. And like when they're like, oh, this mission is actually for Jonin rank ninja, it feels like such a huge raising of stakes. Yeah, and it's because they kind of make this separation versus it was like, oh, there's like hundreds of different factors that determine whether what ranking your squad is. It's like, well, it was a lot easier in Naruto when it was like, when you're strong enough, you're now a Chunin. When you're stronger, now you're a Jonin. Like, it's a literal measure of strength, not, well, you're pretty strong, but you have a small amount of members, and you're not making that much money, and the missions you've been doing haven't been high profile, so you're actually only going to be ranked C. Like, it it seems more wishy-washy. The Russian judge says rank D, sorry. Yep. Yeah, I did not like Tokyo Shinobi, but I have Haikyuu at 19, because I tried really hard to care. There was some, I put it above Beast Children, because I thought, like, like you always say, I saw what they were going for. But I didn't quite feel those emotions. So. Yeah. For number 18, I have double Taisei. And the main reason for it is, so this guy was going to kill him with Shogi, and he was super angry. Only it turns out he's actually not super angry. He's actually depressed. <sighs> we learned from Actage that sadness and anger are the same emotion, Kevin. Like, it was just the... It was honestly the the swap of that of like i'm super angry and out of control only no wait i'm actually in control hey hey kevin did you see fast and the furious 3 because if you're not out of control you're not in control <laughs> that, that makes a lot more sense than this does i i just i didn't like the turn in this of all right so we're getting some backstory on this guy and it was like i understand that he was like i need a rival and this dude was the only dude who was my rival, and then I beat him so that I and then I never played him again. And part of me was like, Do you not understand what a, a rival is? Like just because you beat him once doesn't mean that he's suddenly no longer worthy of your respect. Yeah, I mean I we got background at all, so I put double Taisei a little higher too. I have Tokyo Shinobi at eighteen okay. for a lot of the same reasons you do. Also, I found some of the jokes in Double Taisei to work really well. Like he makes a move and shatters the board. And like, uh, we need a new board now. And they do like a metaphorical callback to that at the end, which I also thought worked, but double yeah. Taisei's not super high for me either. I, I was just like I said, the turn bothered me. So my number seventeen was Beast Children, because like you said, it it was very muddy. And I just, I'm not a big sports fan, so I just didn't really care about this. It's like, all right, they got the first point and the little guy's rival, because I'm not, I'm not going to bother learning anyone's names, is like, oh, well, he grew 10 centimeters, so my mental image of him was wrong. Wait, what? 
Like, <laughs> it's not like he grew 10 centimeters in the last five minutes. <laughs> well, he he played against him once before. You only get data once. when you're playing. <laughs> I mean, I put it lower than you, so I don't know yeah. why I'm defending it. I put Chainsaw Man at number 17, because, man, did I not care about power being like, look how cool I am, Denji. See, you, aren't I cool? And I thought it was sword guy I, being like, kill your, let us kill you, Denji. And Denji be like, ah, uh, no. I thought it was pretty funny with power being like, watch me go, Denji, as he just shuts the elevator door and goes up. Like, I, I found that pretty funny. Not super funny. It's not super high on my list, but. Yeah. I have Yui Kamiya number 16 because it turns out they didn't win and Yui is still. That, Yui actually is partially zombified. Like, that actually stuck around, which totally surprised me and she's out of the fight because of yeah she's out of the fight because of it and i i kind of like the turn at the end where kito is going to play a duet with this chick in order to defeat her and i, I like, also That's... love that there's just a giant pipe organ on the i put it quite a bit higher than you but like the pipe organ turn it would have been better if that had been set up before obviously but also as a reveal like it fits in this universe that they have it this, does. this ridiculous school it does seem like Kito should have thought of that earlier, but I guess as soon as it's relevant, he does think of it. So. Yeah, and, and that's that's a lot of the reason why I'm not a huge fan of you, Camillo, is this seems like a flying by the seat of my pants kind of deal, where it's like, all right, and now we're going to jump back on the ridiculousness. I thought we were being serious, and it isn't just a, like a weird tonal shift. I mean, it is a weird tonal shift, but I feel like it's not done well. I will agree with you there. Like, I talk about it's weird how we segue from harem anime into serious shonen and back. But, yeah. like, I was talking earlier about Anne maybe not fitting in in the way that Usopp and Nami do. And Kido does fit into this story. Or at yeah, least they're he, finding ways for him and Ebi to be important to the story. And I appreciate that. He at least has that. Although, honestly, Ebi is the person who doesn't really fit in. Because it's like, she's got magical hair tying powers. You can't tie a pipe organ. Oh. <laughs> well, I guess I can't do anything then. Well, all right. Like, I feel like most of the time she's unconscious, <laughs> sick, somewhere else, or doesn't have any chains. Like, she's she tied up Yui, like, twice in the beginning, and then she hasn't done anything. She's just there. Uh, that's probably true. My turn for what I have at number 16, which is double Taisei. She's yep. not great. I, I talked about why I like it more than you, but definitely in the didn't like this half. Yep. I have Haikyuu at number 15. I did kind of like the emotional bit a little bit, which is why it's higher than some of these other ones. I liked the, I'm going to be the greatest decoy. And it's like the star players always become the greatest decoy. Like you don't care about somebody who, you know, can't make the shot, but like, because I'm such a big star, you have to focus on me. And the thing that I really liked was apparently they're like two talent scouts talking in the crowd about, well, normally we don't go for the, like, oh, that kid's, you know, small and uh, extremely talented, but we don't go for that. We go for the guys that are big and talented. And then later on, he's talking about the thing with those guys, though, is that they force you to pick them. Like, they just, the guys that are really talented just kind of essentially, like, they shine so brightly that I can't help but look at them kind of thing. And I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, that's why I put it above these children. I have security at number 15 because it made me laugh out loud twice. That's worth something. Okay. I have Chainsaw Man at number 13. Like I said, I thought it was oh, pretty... 14? 14, sorry. I can count. Don't worry. <laughs> I like the... I thought it was kind of funny with Power being like, 
Denji, look at me. Look at how awesome I am. And he's just not paying attention at all. Yeah, for whatever reason, that joke just didn't land. I think I'm just tired of Power and Denji being so id. Like, it yeah. worked for a while, but there's just not... They don't have a straight man to play off of. That's really what the problem is. Well, they do, but they've been but separated. I was like, they've been separated for Aki for lo- a lot of time. And so. also, he doesn't work well as a straight man. He's just too deadpan for it. Yeah. I have Dr. Stone at 14. Which, and like, this is where it starts to get like, hey, this was okay. Um, yeah. There's definitely stuff I liked about Dr. Stone. The fidget spinner joke in particular. The fidget spinner really was pretty worked great. for me. But this is. It's another- my number 13, just uh, so that we can talk about it but it's another like beat chapter if nothing really happens where you're setting stuff up the cliffhanger works really well yeah it, it, it adds tension that cliffhanger i also like the fact that he's like we've made the drone and they're like excellent and they start using it it starts bouncing off the walls <laughs> he was like oh now we need to work on stabilization <laughs> like yeah sure we've made a flying drone but like i have a cheapo flying drone and like you turn it on and if the rotors are out of balance it just flies around and breaks itself almost so I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, the the comedy bits definitely, like, they're set up well and they work, but... I wasn't a huge fan of the poop. Yeah, that joke... Mark? That joke is why I probably put it so low. Yeah. Like, it's just a cheap laugh, and sometimes you need those, but, like, it doesn't really do anything. Yeah, it's not my style of humor. Basically, their uh, craftsman has a scar missing on his back that's in the shape of a poop emoji. Yeah. Like, oh, no, we can't revive him with that. Well, and uh, all the villagers are like, well, why not? And Gen is like, the artisan will probably be pretty pissed if we leave a giant hole of poop on his back. And I also, I do like the taiju bits of like, (laughs) all right, here's a bunch more bits of uh, people that I found, but we don't have any more oxygen tanks. Oh, that's okay. I just held my breath. What? It's like, like, yeah, taiju's stupidly, ridiculously broken. I don't understand why you don't get this. Yep. And uh, he's like, well, I can only carry so much at a time, so I'll only have to make like two to three hundred round trips. And Suya is the bald guy who has perfect memories. Like, well, at least let me row you out to sh- or row you out to the spot. And Taiji's like, oh, okay, that should probably help a little bit. <laughs> yeah, like funny. Yeah, it works. I have Jujutsu Kaisen at thirteen. Just a lot of the problems we've talked about with this flashback arc about the stakes. Yeah, not really working, and it's a. An exposition of powers chapter, which I don't dislike, but Jujutsu Kaisen, I just can't really get into it. So in another series, I'd probably put this chapter much higher. Yeah, it's my number 12. I And I really think it is the stakes of this being a flashback and us knowing that Gojo isn't dead. I did like, because I've read the whole thing, I did like the explanation of powers of like the bad guy in this thing being like, yeah, I'm essentially a monkey. And he calls himself that, but he's like, yeah, I'm a dude with no powers. So... Because of that, I'm able to beat you guys who think you're gods because I come at you in ways that you're not expecting. I have Yui Kamiyo at 12. I talked about why I liked it. I like the pipe organ bit. I like that, uh, you know, it's like is important to the story. This arc is working pretty well, I think. So, yeah, I have the Promised Neverland at number 11 because I just it was like, yeah, here's a beat. We're all together. Okay. I have Act Age at number 11 for kind of similar things. I just, uh, Promise Neverland is right above it for me. Uh, Act Age is my it. number 10. Okay, so. so we're just flipped on that. Yeah. Uh, I just feel like this, like the momentum is more there in Promise Neverland. This makes sense as a next step. Like, and it does feel like it's building towards something, even though it's not great. Whereas Act Age is this weird, like, flip of momentum. Yeah. I just, I liked some of the, the 
little bits of comedy in Act Age with Kay's new friends being like, wow, I can't believe there's so many people here. Well, yeah, this is a normal press conference for a play. What? There's no way this is normal and all that stuff. So that's why it went at number 10, just above Promised Neverland, because it was like we talked about that beat chapter of just kind of like, yep, here's this like beat that has to be there, but nothing really happens in it. Yep. What do you have at number nine? At number nine, I have Hell's Paradise. I'm trying to remember. Oh, yeah. So this is the... This is kind of the, not the Super Saiyan, but like a flashback explanation of Gabi Maru, how he became more powerful yep. for this fight, and like what he meant by, like, I'll sacrifice my humanity to get back to my wife. Yep. And I also, I really like the comedy bit at the end with the ninja chick being like, I can't let somebody who tore my favorite dress go. Yeah, and, and Gabi Maru's like, that's not even yours. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, that was really funny. It really, really works. Number nine, which is where I would say like the good stuff start- starts, is where I put Yuzukura Mission Force. Because I don't love the series, but this one actually worked and I found it funny. But everything else I found was a little better. Yeah, I I liked It's My Number Eight. Okay, but my number eight is Pell's Paradise. So. There you go. We just flipped on that one. I am not quite at the exact level of this is my kind of dumb, but this is my kind of dumb. Yeah. It's not the top of my list kind of dumb, but Mission is definitely... One of those things was like, I could see myself really liking this. Because when I said I got huge Agami Kakil vibes, I really liked Agami Kakil. Like, I like the weird, dysfunctional, superpower family dynamic that's going to be going on. And I'm like, this will be probably pretty cool. Because it's interesting seeing a superhero family that's dysfunctional. As opposed to, so it's like all these people with superhuman powers that still fall into the same traps that normal families do. Yeah, and if he's as good at setting up comedy in future chapters as he was in this one, yeah, like, it, it'll at least always be funny in the way yep. that we never learn is always funny. Yep. Which is enough for me. Yep. So my number seven was Black Clover. I really like this Black Clover bit just with the kind of everyone getting, so all of the Black Bulls getting together to bail Asta out of the, essentially the this judgment call of, He's being set up as the scapegoat kind of thing for the entire debacle. Yeah, spoilers for me. I put Black Clover very, very high this week in contrast to last week where I thought that guy was being way too mustache twirly. Like this is equally like tropey and a like predictable move, but it really works for me. Yeah. Like all the Black Bulls show up and they all declare their like allegiance to Asta and why they won't let him. Yep. Except for Noelle because she can't do feelings, but even she at least had as a hand wavy this is why i'm gonna say i'm here yeah well and like she actually she kind of gives the she's like she gives the surface reason for why she's here and she's like and there's no deeper meaning got it yeah exactly and, which is exactly noelle like <laughs> yeah. i really liked it took me a second to like link which which characters which characters it were took which. me i think longer because i don't really know you them don't really well. know them but i have at least read their introductions yes so. but that was also one of the things that I actually kind of liked it how that worked yeah is, because you get extreme close-ups of them so it's pretty hard to tell yeah which uh, is which like yami is very obvious yami well because it's his face yeah. too and the the sexy witch is pretty easy because it's her bust but some of the other ones it's like oh you see like their leg or like some of Magna's hair. They're going to Voltron. The Black Bulls are going to Voltron. <laughs> well, I mean, the Black Bulls have Voltron. <laughs> I know they do. That one was the hardest one for me to figure out who was talking, was the guy who controls the Black Bulls hideout as his magic. I was like, which one of the ones is that? Oh, yeah, it's the newest one. So I I did really like this Black Clover. 
and that's where it ended up. I have One Piece at number seven. I actually really liked One Piece this week, but it was about moving pieces. It's moving them forward, which is exciting. And I really like that cliffhanger. Yep. But kind of nothing ended up happening. I guess law escaping is an important bit, but a lot of it is just building momentum. Yeah, I just liked I liked the building momentum and I liked the the sword talk with Zoro. And yeah. I did like the Basil Hawkins explaining stuff. Yeah, that and that was good. And like Apo showing up. Apo like, showing up, a bunch of other people showing up for this big celebration. The Kaido Big Mom team up reveal was pretty nice. Yeah, it definitely got me excited to read the next chapter, yeah. but I don't know how excited I was about this chapter. Gotcha. Uh, just because we talk about it with My Hero Academia a lot, this is going to make an awful episode of the One Piece uh, anime. Oh, just God. because nothing happens and they will stretch it out the entire episode. Yeah. Specifically just the anime. The, yes. I was like in the volume middle range. Just it's, the One Piece anime is basically the opposite of the My Hero Academia anime. Yep. So for number six, I had We Never Learn. I just thought this was a really cute little sister chapter. And I liked the the emotional bit at the end where it was like Yugia filled the hole that her father did. And yeah. then she like one of the reasons she's so attached to him is she has that little girl. Well, we can marry when we grow up. Kind I of did thing. like that bit where he's like, yeah, I'll play with you. Well, until you find a husband, because then it would be awkward. She's like. I could just marry you, big brother. And she's like, ah, he's like, ah, it's not joking. We're not kids anymore. Yep. She's like, oh. Well, she doesn't go, oh. She gets mad and starts th- like, all right, you okay if I go faster? And starts thrashing him. <laughs> yeah. What do you have at number six? I have Demon Slayer at number six because it's got those good shonen emotional bits. Yeah, I have that's Demon Slayer at number five. But I didn't super love it. So that's why I have We Never Learn at number five. Um, Man, we just kept flipping on these things. Yeah, because uh, I I don't know. Maybe I have a little sister thing. I, I you, you heard me talk about The Last yes. Sayuki a lot. The fact that I don't have a sister of any sort yeah, you makes just, my feelings very different from someone who might when yeah. it comes to those sorts of relationships. You do have a little sister complex. I don't have a little sister, though, so I don't think that's accurate. I have a little sister complex complex. Yes, that might be accurate. What do you have at number death? It's four. It's death in Japanese. Okay. <laughs> I have One Piece at number four. Like I said, I did I did like this chapter of One Piece. I have Samurai 8 at number four. I talked about how it is kind of a transition-y chapter and how it had some stuff I didn't like. But the almost spirit bomb moment with everybody on the planet, like, watching them, it was really good. Yep. And, like, the growth that Hachi... Like, it really showcases the growth Hachimaru's had over this arc. Yep. Which is really cool. Yeah, it's Samurai was my number three. I really like the splash page of the Atmos Fang, like that giant tornado of the atmosphere leaking the planet. And then I like the joke where Drew was like, I'm going to show you the true form of Hachimaru. And then he comes out after it and he's this skinny little toothpick because he expended too much energy. So she's like, well, I'll start making some food. <laughs> But yeah. she had that kind of like back of mind realization. That's the true form of Hachimaru. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's not what Daruma meant. <laughs> I have My Hero Academia at number three. I was really expecting it to make number one. So I was surprised when I put some stuff above it. My boys are back and I love them. Yep. It's my number two because, like I said, Shoto being completely oblivious to how women work was just glorious. It's such a good joke. It's delivered so well. Well, and it's not just one either. He's got like a budge where she's like, oh, you should like smile more. And he's like, no, nah, that's fine. And just the, my my smile will kill women. <laughs> it's so good. What do you have at number two? I have Black Clover at number two. Like I said, it's just shown in his hell and it got me. Yep. 
So, so we have Food Wars at number one. Yep. It's hard to say how objective I'm being about that. I really did like the Ariana stuff. Ariana is my favorite character, and a lot of it's from her point of view. And I really like the stuff from Selma's point of view. And I, I really think it is because it's the the end. It was like, I really liked this ending. I liked the kind of open-ended, this has a feel of the you know 90s movie where all the characters have like a little text on what they're doing now kind of thing. And I was like, I really liked that. Yeah. It was nice. It was the epilogue I kind of wanted. I would just the only problem with it is I wish Food Wars was an ending, but I'm a lot more ready for it to end now than I was when it ended when it the first, first yeah time. when it ended the first time. Yeah, I don't know that I have anything else to say about it. I liked it a lot. I think we talked about it plenty when we discussed the chapter. Yeah. So that does it for Shonen Jump this week. Join us after the break when we will talk about One Piece Volume Two. So we read One Piece Volume 2 this week. It's a little weird doing Volume 2s, I find, because when you're... One of the reasons I think it's easier to do this kind of survey style is when you pick up a new series, there are immediately things that you can identify about it. Whereas when a series is continuing, it's pretty similar most of the time. There's also the huge dissonance in between we read Volume 1... A year almost ago? A, yeah, basically a year ago, and are now reading Volume 2. And it's like, like even if you're keeping up with the volumes at a normal pace, they don't release that far apart. Yeah. And also, while One Piece is very different right now than it was then, and it's yeah. been a bunch of different series, so to speak, in yeah. between, Volume 1 and Volume 2 pretty similar, except for that Volume 2 is all one story and does not even finish that story. Yeah. Or start that story, I guess. It starts at the end of Volume 1. Yeah. I, I can see it going maybe two, maybe even three chapters in the Volume 3. Or it could be just one. I think it'll just be one. If I, I feel like at least one in a denouement, right? Yeah, probably. Just remembering the anime. Yeah, I'm. I've read all of the manga, so that's another thing. Going back to this and being, I think one of the huge things about going back to a volume two of something that like we're currently reading, which spoilers all of these manga are stuff that we are pretty much currently reading, is weird, especially for something as long running as One Piece, where it's like, oh yeah, that stuff happened. Like, not initially, honestly, I probably should have read volume one and then gone into volume two. Like, I did actually read the last chapter to be like, wait, what happened? Because I, I had that moment of, did I miss something? <laughs> Which, no, it's just that you don't really remember that from volume one. Well, yeah, and it's because because I this will be the third time that I'm reading it. It was just one of those, uh, oh, yeah, that is what happened. Like, there's just so much one piece knowledge in my head that bits and pieces of it kind of. Like I forget them, my other bits fuse together. It's like, oh, 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 yeah, those those guys, they they were a thing. Yeah, I forgot how evil Buggy was in his first appearance. Cause I did not that that did not surprise me at all. Like it wasn't like a surprise, but it was just like, oh yeah, because he's such a he's a Team Rocket villain now. Yeah, and he, there's nothing wrong with that. And like you can, when the transition happens through One Piece, it makes a lot of sense. Yep. But he does not like he starts. He's got a joke thing about him which a bunch of the more modern One Piece villains don't as much anymore. Yeah. He he 
honestly, I feel like he's more playing the clown aspect and is just extremely serious, but a clown. Yeah. Like he's a serious villain. And well, then he's eventually got the thing where when he gets his nose is made fun of. Like, yeah. He can't stand for it. Yeah. Which is like the sort of thing that like, that's how I would be something Kaido does. Yeah. Or uh, it's actually something Big Mom would totally do. Yeah. And like One Piece villains often have a goofiness about them, but it's not quite like this. Like, Don Quixote and Crocodile are just straight assholes. Same with Arlong, right? Yep. But also, like, to that credit, like, you can see from, you know, this isn't the beginning, but from the first major story arc, Odai's got that villain thing down. Yep. He knows how to make a villain seem like, just like, they need to be punched in the face. Yep. Yeah, it was was definitely very good. And especially with this one, where I really like that Zoro is initially the one to first fight Buggy. And it's like, oh, I'm actually immune to swords. And so it's even more of the thing. I definitely need to see him being punched in the face because he's not immune to being punched in the face. Yeah. And like the Zoro and Acrobat fight, it's like they use it to build up what a jerk buggy is. And yep. it's very well done. And we already see, not to the same degree, how good Odai is at coming up with weird powers. But again, it's here from the start. I mean, yep. having a lion is not really a weird power. But the Acrobat character who fits really well with a clown. Yeah, has a bunch of tricks and all that kind of stuff. Like, I can run up the wall and I have these explosive top things. And and this death unicycle. Yeah. Yeah. We also have the Odai's love of animals in this with the dog. Yeah. Like, not the the lion, not so much, but the backstory of the dog. And now that I start thinking about it, there are quite a lot of animals in One Piece that have had their masters die and are like, or not their masters die, but like, we have Laban, we have this dog who are kind of like not stuck in the past but kind of sort of and it takes luffy to kind of break them out of it yeah i talked about this when we talked about volume one but like the formula is very much in play it's a western like there's this town that's under siege by this clown pirate yep and the sarayats show up to gunfight him in the street yeah only you know it's a gum gum gun yes it's just i was kind of hoping this volume would be one entire story like the end of the buggy arc would be in it just because in the first one we had multiple different versions of that story, it would be cool to see what it looked like as just one volume. Yeah. And we're not going to get that, which is fine. It's just interesting comparing it to Dragon Ball, where is in Dragon Ball Volume 2, we're kind of wrapping up the first story arc, putting a bow on everything that's come so far yeah. to start a new direction. And One Piece, we're doubling down. We're just spiraling out. Well, and I feel like, especially with One Piece, with it being popular and Odai being a genius, this was the first volume was he kind of like followed the formula. All right, I shall follow the Shonen Jump formula, and we shall do this. And everyone was like, we really love that. Cool. I'm going to start running. And he, again, for volume two, doesn't really care about making a cohesive volume. He's like, yeah, I'm just telling the story, and you'll just, the collected volumes are just, all right, here's the next eight chapters or whatever. Bam, collected volume. And most volumes work like that. I'm just, like, it's spiraling, like I said. Like, the first One Piece story is a one-chapter story, right? Yeah. And then we get a two-chapter story. And then I don't remember how long Morgan is. I'm pretty sure it's longer than three chapters. But yeah. it's like a three- or four-chapter story. And then we have Buggy, which is a tennis chapter story. And I now the next one's going to be a little longer. And then the Sanji one's longer. And then the Arlong one's longer. And yep. then, like, all of the first grand line stuff all the baroque work stuff almost works like it's weird it's hard to classify the baroque work stuff is that is that all one story or is it like four or five small stories because like the winter island that's name i can't think of right now you can definitely argue that's just a one piece story yeah but it also slots into this greater story with vivi in it yeah so it's just really interesting to see it happening here 
But like the art's still good. It's I don't know that there's anything I, I was as impressed by as in the first chapter. But it's still like it's not like oh he's sla- slumping. It's just yeah. like there wasn't anything that was quite as flourishy. I don't think no, no panel super sticks out to me the way a couple did in the first volume of One Piece. Yeah, but like you said, it's more. It's not that he didn't have any flourishes. Well, it's kind of that he didn't have any flourishes. So like, just everything was just steady good, and there wasn't some. Oh, that was really cool. There is some really good cartooning, in particular, yes. like when Buggy shoots his cannonball at the city. Like this, the way that the like houses are being destroyed, yep. it looks like they're getting sucked into the cannon in a way that that's clearly not what's going on. Yeah, but it gives it this goofy look that really works for it, while still looking like something terrible. Yep. Also, we get a lot of Nami in this chapter, which like is something this series is sorely in need of. Yeah, as a bit of heart, like she's the serious character. Like Luffy is super goofy. Zoro is lazy, isn't the right word, but he's very much take it as it comes. He is Zen. Yeah. Like, Nami is the straight man to yep. this group, while also being this weird antagonist at this point. Yeah. I, I just, I do love, like you said, with Nami being the straight man. Uh, what? How did you survive that? I'm a rubber man. You're what? And, like, just, even now, we still have, well, actually, less now. Like, Nami's finally gotten over that Luffy is ridiculous. But but she still serves that role to a degree. In some of the more recent stuff, yeah. But it just reminds me of, like, even when she joins the the Straw Hats, she just constantly is doing the, what, you've got to be kidding me. There's no way this would work. How did that work? Yeah, like Zoro picking up the steel cage that Luffy is in and being yep. like, what? Or I don't Zoro have the key. Oh, I'll just take the whole cage. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, Zoro be fine. He just needs a nap. N- that's not how sword wounds work. And Zoro be like, ah, that was a good nap. nap. I'm good now. I'm good now. And I guess That was did- one hell of an alarm clock. They blew the house up. Yeah, like I said, one hell of an alarm clock. And we didn't really need that in volume one because we had Kobe, who yep. basically served the same role, but we need someone in that more permanently. And we get a couple someones, to be fair. Yeah. Because there's a, there's plenty of ridiculous going on in One Piece, but that's definitely a necessary element. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about it? Not really. Like, I think volume two is, it's definitely something that I want to keep, I want to keep reading volume three. It reminded me of why I liked One Piece in the first place. And I think this is like volume one was interesting to read as like, all right, so this is how one piece started. And then it's like, all right, so volume one was getting onto the roller coaster or like standing in line for the roller coaster and taking a seat. And then it's like, all right, I'm just, I'm on the ride and you know, I'm loving every moment of it. I'm just going to keep reading one piece and I understand why it's so popular. Yeah. It's super weird seeing how formulaic one piece is. Cause I kind of know it. But when you're reading or watching One Piece week to week, it doesn't really feel that way. Yeah. Whereas like when I'm analyzing it, it's there from the very start. Chapter one is just a One Piece arc where Luffy is the person who needs to be saved. Yep. And everyone after that, it's a samurai slash Western story. Yeah. But they just, they all work so well. Yeah. It's just like, Odai is really talented. Like I, there's not a better way to put it. Yep. Or at least I can't. I did like the little after chapter thing. I don't know what you want to call them. The little bits where it was talking about vikings yeah was pretty cool the bonus was, content yeah the bonus content for the volume where it was kind of like uh the reason i start basically the reason i kind of got interested in this pirate story is i read a bunch of stuff about vikings so like that kind of inspired me for one piece like it's these people that go out and you know, like they're seen as raiders and pillagers but it's like that's their jobs and there's all this crazy stuff going on with them and they have to brave these seas and all this stuff and so that's what kind of got me interested in pirates 
because Luffy is definitely not your even most of the pirates aren't your traditional pirate pirates like honestly in one piece there's not a whole lot of naval combat it's like people invading towns and stuff like that yeah there's a lot more like it's viking yeah there's a lot more pillaging towns and stuff like that and there's much less commandeering ships at sea and taking prisoners and doing that kind of stuff so it is a lot more viking like than pirates but it was probably like a thing pirates just probably played better yeah also like that's even played with in this story because nami like we find we don't find out much about her backstory in this volume, but we do find out she lost someone really important to her because some pirates attacked her yep. town, and so she hates pirates. And Luffy's like, "Well, that makes sense," but also like, I'm not going to say I'm not a pirate because I don't do that. Yep. He's like, "I want to, I want to be a pirate as more of a like I love later on at one point with Luffy's declaration of, "Well, King of the Pirates is just the freest man on the planet." Yeah. And it's like that to him, that's who King of the Pirates is. And there's a lot of people like Buggy, the King of the Pirates, is the richest dude on the planet. Yeah. And there's a bunch of people that have different aspects of what being a pirate is. And it's really nice to see Luffy's is just like, well, I just want to be free. Like he's the pirate who he doesn't go pillaging. He, he's like, I just want to sail around the sea with my friends. Yeah, He's like the embodiment of chaotic good. Like yeah. he does not care about the law. He's going to do what he thinks is right. But he still has an incredibly strong moral compass. Yep. It's just, but. Also, that's dangerous because whatever he says is right to him is. So. Yes. And that's like, that's something that's played with in some of the more complex stuff about One Piece later on. Yeah. Where the government, like, this person is dangerous, even though he is, you know, defeating pirates who oppose us. Yep. Like, he is inspiring people to rebel against us. Yeah. Even, like, for good reasons. So, yeah. One Piece is super good. So, Volume 2, of course, continues to be super good. Yep. We'll probably read Volume 3 eventually. I don't know how much we'll have to say about it, but definitely something I'm interested in continuing reading because I really like One Piece. Yep. I think that brings us to personality power level. Yeah. Vegeta, what does the scouter say about his power level? Personality power level is the segment where we rank manga characters from best to worst. Uh, The top is Uzumaki Naruto, our number one orange shonen boy. The very bottom is that guy who's not Yamcha from that time I got reincarnated as Yamcha. We really need to figure out something worse so that you can stop saying that please, every time. Please, can we read? Please recommend mangas with bad characters at lastpodcast.com. Yeah, that way we can finally get and make sure that they have a name. Yeah, it doesn't, necess- it doesn't necessarily need to be a short name, but the shorter the better. Like if it's a one syllable name, that like would Bob? be great. If yeah. we can find Bob the Bad, that would be great. Yes. Uh, Dead Center is Asta, the mediumest shonen boy of all. We have. Monkey D. Luffy currently at number eight, above Koro Sensei from Assassination Classroom, and below Moritaki Mashiro from Bakuman. I don't think we should move Luffy just because Luffy is kind of a guiding star for us when yep. we rank characters. In many ways, this list is anchored around not just him, but yep. he is one of those. Well, anchors. and I also think the the big thing with moving characters is for moving characters we're less that, familiar with yeah so it's like oh, i've i've read all of one piece and you've watched all of the anime and yeah. i've watched a bunch of the anime so it's like we really have a handle on luffy as a character now it might change maybe in the at the end of this arc or the start of the next arc maybe we like him more or like him less or he wants to move but yeah there's no reason to move luffy not point. not for a volume two thing who do we want to add from one piece because there are a lot of options right we could go buggy and ha- have him be the first villain we add to the list I actually don't mind that idea, adding, nope. adding a villain to the list. Cause I just, 
I mean, you talked about, I, I mean, I guess I talked about Buggy being a character that I didn't quite remember. There's an argument for adding him in volume three, but if you want to add him, we can do that right now. Yeah, I just, I like the idea of putting some villains on the list and kind of not making it just the protagonists. Yeah, and that's one of the advantages of reading uh, multiple chapters is we definitely need some supporting characters and stuff on yeah. here. And Dragon Ball, in Dragon Ball, we haven't really been introduced to one of the recurring we, villains. We could have done Pilaf. Uh, he, I guess we could Buggy have. and Pilaf, weirdly comparable. But Bulma made more sense to me yeah. than Pilaf at the time. Whereas there's plenty of time to get to Zoro and Nami in the future. So, first villain, this is going to make it weird. And like Buggy is a recurring villain. I talk about how he's got a Team Rocket thing going on. Yep. His relationship with the Shanks and Gold Rogers is super interesting. Yeah. As more so probably than his enmity to Luffy, which is where he starts. Yep. Well, That's, and though he does have the Team Rocket vibe going on, he is the lucky hapless villain. I mean, I I kind of call that part of the Team Rocket thing. But, yeah, but like he the Team Rocket thing like they never succeed at what they're doing okay that's true whereas buggy has like tripped into fortune yes and like it's not even completely tripped he does have talents he's charismatic he does have talents and he's like he's smart enough to recognize the situations that he's tripped into and like this is what yeah and take advantage of them but he has definitely had a lot of stuff thrown into his lap of like i can use this then and that's happened multiple times because there was, he lucked into some stuff before the the prison break of Impel Down, and then all the he got all the prisoners thinking he was the best pirate ever because he got lucky that Newgate was like, oh yeah, I remember you, and like didn't immediately beat the shit out of him. Yeah, they're like, oh man, Whitebeard respects him. That's yep. gotta mean something. Yeah. <laughs> Where he's just like, oh hey, you're, the, you're Red Hair's friend. Yep. Well, and he Newgate also knew him. He was like, oh wait. You're that guy that used to work with Red Air that worked on... Goldie right? Rogers' ship. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, you worked with Goldie Roger? Yeah. And he just he just ran with it. of like, yeah, <laughs> I was the cabin boy. And One Piece villains are all very good. It's hard to beat a One Piece villain. But yep. Buggy's not the best One Piece he villain. He is not the best One Piece villain, but... It's hard to say above Goku, right? Yeah. Because that's where I'm looking to start. What do you think about Asta from Black Clover? You're more of a Black Clover guy than I am. I like Asta a bit more. I'd like, at this point, Buggy isn't much of a villain in the One Piece storyline. He's he's a recurring character. Like, he's a recurring, and, and he's an he's a semi antagonist. Like, like he's antagonistic towards Luffy, but I guess when you most of his screen time has been in support of Luffy, though, yeah. actually in this weird way. Yeah. So that's. But yeah, I do like, I do think I like Asta a bit more, especially after this, the last chapter with, I know he, Asta doesn't do much, but just the, look how much Asta has inspired his friends kind of thing. What about Ichigo from Bleach, who's a character who maybe when we go back to Bleach, we should reevaluate. Reevaluate. We put a couple characters above him that I'm like, really? I th- one of them I think you argued above him, and one I think I argued above him. But, but I'm looking at both of them, and I feel like Buggy goes above them and below Ichigo, which is impossible currently. How do you think he compares to Ichigo? I think I like him a bit more than Ichigo, honestly. I don't know. I, like... I've always had a bit of a problem with Ichigo in the Bleach storyline, especially when it started fragmenting off into the nothingness that it became. Yeah, I mean, Bleach has the problem of, hey, what do you call it? If if a miracle only happens once, what do you call it when it happens twice? Not Bleach. Yeah. Yeah, it was more of, it's got that, like, sitcom problem where it's like, you 
you you could have ended it in like a a good spot. Yeah. And then you kept going, and it didn't make any sense. Right above him, we have Common Rider. I think Buggy's better than Common Rider. Yeah. Right above that, we have Maka from Soul Eater. I definitely think he's better than Maka, but yeah. Maka's there because of you. And right above there, we have Red from Pokemon Adventures. I could maybe see Buggy above Red. My gut says below, but like the more Buggy's pretty fun. Yeah. That said, if Red showed up in One Piece, I would be like, yeah, you and Luffy need to hang out. Yeah, I, I'd um, be fine with whatever your gut says on that because like i don't know much about red i think like buggy has more staying power i want to put red above but i think my gut i think buggy probably goes above so buggy the clown will go at number 22 below asta and above red so kevin what are we going to read next week what do you want to revisit so i want to revisit now this won't have been a year since we've read it it will actually only been like a month but I want to revisit One Punch Man Volume 2. One Punch Man is still one of my favorite comics that I'm reading currently. It's not... Well, it it is on the Shonen Jump app, but I am reading the releases as they are launched at whatever... Ma- I don't know what magazine it's being published in, but I'm reading them as they're released there and not as they're being released at the Shonen Jump app. So that one's six chapters behind or... It might be more. Actually, I think it's I think it's a lot more. So it's it's behind, but it's something that I really enjoy. And we're going to get introduced to more of the secondary characters, which are really what I think make One Punch Man great is like Saitama's funny and the really the thing that makes me like that manga is everyone else interacting with Saitama as this like thing that exists in their world and not so much Saitama himself. Like there are obviously times where I like him, but I think it's really the secondary characters that make that manga great. All right. So next week we're reading one punch man volume two. Until then our opening theme is fighting against one's will by midair machine. Our closing theme is a psychic fist fight by Tom W. Emerit. Other music on the show is by spectacular Sam productions and our album art is by Kate wind on deviant art. www.lastpodcast.com is our website where you can find my other podcasts or our Discord server. If you want to suggest a manga with a bad character we can rate, our Discord is probably the easiest way to do that. Is there anything you'd like to plug, Kevin? Not this week. See you next week, guys.